Hello, my name is Eric Fleming and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. Um, today is what I call a freestyle. So it may be long, it may not be long. I don't know, but it's a lot of things that have been on my mind and I'm just kind of, I don't know if each part would be its own segment. Primarily because I've talked about some of these things before and um, you know, just really so I, I, I have mentioned that I'm 56 years old and I have noticed as one of my high school teachers predicted my tolerance level is really, really low. I used to accept a lot of things. And when I say tolerance level, I mean like dealing with BS, right? I mean, it was part of the game when you were younger, everybody did it. And I didn't obviously didn't do it as much as other people because my father used to always comment about me getting into politics and how he was amazed at that because I had a low tolerance for BS, right? But, you know, now I've gotten older, I, I think it's really worse. Um, so it's almost like a discipline to have to deal with it right? In a professional, non-hostile way. It's really, really hard. Especially when you keep seeing the same stuff over and over again. And, and there seems to be no real effort. Maybe by a select few, but no real, real collective effort to end it, to just shut it down. Where there's no real motivation or Maybe it's going slower than I would like in the most positive sense. And I just knew when I was in office, when I had the opportunity to do some things, I was able to get some legislation passed that I wanted. And I used to introduce, and I've told you this before, I've used to introduce tons of legislation. And because I used to introduce tons of legislation, legislation, I had stuff passed, but, you know, like reforming, you know, the police profiling and, and the, uh, you know, the redlining and the unfair contract practices, you know, a lot of things that impact black people you know, that I was pushing for personally. There were a lot of things I didn't get accomplished. There were things I was able to vote for or against that impacted black people. Uh, I had a platform to speak out. And I, and I really tried to utilize that as much as possible. Maybe too much for some people, but that's fine. Because there's just some people that don't want black folks to say anything and it's and it's and i'm just talking about black folks i ain't dealing with anybody else 
there's black folks that don't want you to say anything because they think you're you're just there to rattle the cage and you're going to make things worse if you say something. And I don't understand how generations of black people later is that mentality still there. You know, you sit up there and you take a day off for Dr. King. He was one of the greatest disruptors in world history. Right. And he did it in a peaceful manner. You know, but we've had others who try to do it in a financial way like Marcus Garvey or a more militant way like Malcolm X. But resistance is only futile if you offer no resistance, right? Or you give resistance lip service. Resistance is progressive because that's the only way you can get progress is through struggle. You celebrate Frederick Douglass. He said that. And he proved that in his life, right? I mean, we sit up here and we we watch these movies with depicting Billie Holiday and Harriet Tubman. And we like all these black women and these actresses and even Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, how, they, how these strong black women, are, they were resisting. They were resisting the powers that be, whether it was about a song or how they're going to get paid or or just freedom itself, they resisted. And we celebrate all that and then turn right around and say, well, I wish that he would shut up or that she would shut up. Why, why would you want them to shut up, but you want to idolize everybody else who did not, right? These were like biopic, biopic movies. These were not imaginary characters that some creative person dreamed up. Billie Holiday really existed. Harriet Tubman really existed. Shirley Chisholm really existed. All these people resisted, right? And it just irritates me to hear black people say, stop resisting or just have black people in positions that don't do anything at all, right? But claim they're doing something. They will, they will work their butts off to get elected, right? They will do anything. They will destroy anybody in their path. They will scorch the earth to get elected to do what? to get in office and do nothing, to say nothing, to go with the flow. Oh, well, there's too many of them. You knew that going in. But you got to resist. And I don't care how suave you do it or how raw you do it. You got to resist. You got to fight. And it doesn't have to be individually. That's the whole purpose of caucuses. Y'all supposed to fight as a collective. Each black caucus in the United States, whether it's 60 of them or one, that caucus represents every black person in that state. Every one. And they should act like that. When the other side, primarily the white Republicans say, well, nobody's, we represent Every black person in the state and every black person in the state does not want that. 
yes, you can take that liberty to say that. If there's some black people they can pull out and say, well, I, I'm, I'm not in favor of what the black are. That's fine. You can isolate them if you want to. Let them do all that work. You stand on a position that you represent black people, you and the caucus in your state. And you fight for the interests of black people because there are black people, again, that don't want to resist, but I'll be damned if they don't enjoy the benefits from it. Because the purpose of resisting is to help them help themselves, right? Even we don't get it. I mean, most of us have raised children. And the whole premise of raising children is to help them help themselves. Because initially they don't know they have to be taught. Right. So that's, you know, and just watching some of these events that have taken place and listen to some of these dialogues and, and, and the pettiness that's out there really got me into this riff. Like, for example, 18 people have died. Now we, we still have a pandemic going on and people are dying every day by the hundreds. But 18 people died within a span of two weeks by two people. One dude drove literally an hour to kill people. And it took him another two hours to get caught. Down the road. So just he made his whole day. Well, I'm just going to go to different places and shoot people. And somebody in law enforcement said he was having a bad day. Yeah. I would think if you've gotten to the point where you want to kill human beings, that would be considered a bad day. And not just for him. For all the people that he came across that day it was a bad day or a potentially bad day. It was a terrible day. It was a terrible day. And to trivialize that and say, well, he was having a bad day because he had an addiction. Who the hell are you to try to justify him? He's going to have defense attorneys. The best thing you can do is just say he gave a statement which doesn't cooperate with the facts of the case at this point in time. You don't sit there and say, you don't try to just, you don't, you don't, you don't give him a defense. He's going to have his day in court. Let those people who do that for a living make that call. Just get the facts, because based on the what we have seen and heard, it doesn't look like that it was just having a bad day. It looks like he was targeting particular people, whether it was women, whether it was people of a certain ethnicity. He was targeting them. He went to specific places. He didn't just go randomly somewhere and just start shooting people like the boy in Ohio or whatever. And it turns out the boy in Ohio who was in the middle of a square was really trying to kill his girlfriend and and just decided to kill everybody else in his path. And people forgot about that. 
Somebody said that. Somebody said that in the new, you know, that the news cycle doesn't know how to handle it because it's like it's like a squirrel effect. It's like you're talking about this one, up oh, squirrel, and you and you're already covering the next major shooting, which took place literally ten days later, and ten people got killed then in a supermarket for no reason that we can ascertain. Unfortunately, he is, he has a Muslim name. I don't know, or Arabic name. Don't know if he is a Muslim or not by faith. But now that's a problem, right? That's bringing up some old hatred and wounds, right? Especially when you had a previous administration that wanted to ban anybody who had those kind of names and came from countries that practiced that faith. For the most part. Now that you had a dictator like Turkey. Right. So. We've had this happen now for the pandemic we have set up a task force we uh we've had two task force actually in two different administrations we've had millions of dollars allocated billions of dollars even allocated toward er eradicating or minimizing the spread of the virus at this point we now are at the stage where millions of people are being vaccinated every day. We have made a concerted effort in the span of a year to stop this. And people are not exactly taking victory laps, but they're, they're, they see light at the end of the tunnel. But yet and still, we managed to create a vaccine within the span of a year. Several. In the span of a year. But for the life of me, we can't figure out how to stop gun violence. Or minimize it. We do not have the political will or courage to do it. And that is frustrating to me because there are members of the NRA, former members like myself. And the only reason why is just, I don't have that kind of money to just keep joining everything, right? I had, I was a member. I actually had an A plus rating when, when I ran for, well, not an A plus. I had an A rating when I ran for federal office. Um, I served on a committee that was really pro NRA on a lot of issues, right? So it's not like that you're talking to somebody who's just anti-gun. Uh, I work in a profession where I have to carry one, right? So I don't, I don't have an aversion toward guns. I do have an aversion to people that are not mentally stable having access to them. 
And somebody pointed this out on the internet too. They said the guy who, I believe it was the guy who shot the people in Boulder, Colorado, right? The 10 people in the store. He was able to buy the gun. It was either the guy in Colorado or the guy in Atlanta, but whoever was, which one of the shooters was able to buy the weapon and use it the same day. They bought the weapon, passed the background check, and used it on innocent people, all within a span of hours, within a, in a day. But we can't register to vote and vote on the same day in most states. I think that's that's BS. I think at some point we're going to have to do something. I mean, we delay marriage licenses, right? People are in love. They want to get married. They go to the courthouse. They got to wait days, at least three, between the time they get the license and the time they get married. Like there's only a couple of states where you can get married the same day you get the license. So people in love and people at the happy moment of their life and they got to wait between getting a license and actually getting married. But a person that's angry, a person that has feeling some kind of way for whatever reason, whether it's something that was triggered in childhood and never and, and is just manifesting now or something that happened to him in the immediate moment. That person would go buy a gun and kill people the same day. Something to think about. And, you know, some people say, well, you know, that's a blah. I said, look, I've been in the line, had to do the men did background check stayed at the gun store when it was crowded for like two, three hours to get one. I get it. People are impatient in this world, but the reef, the behavior of people and the general welfare of people should be considered when you make policies. If you think it's okay, to give people 72 hours to think about whether they should get married or not. I don't think it's a problem to give people 24 to 72 hours after purchasing a gun to be able to get it. I don't think it's unreasonable in light of what's happening. And and to be a retailer, I would want that. I would want to have a system where I can, you can go online at my store and, and purchase the gun and all that stuff. And then, you know, send you an email, let you know the background check is cleared. And you show up and pick it up. 
I think for those retailers that sell guns, that minimizes a lot of traffic. That's just, you know, from a standpoint. I mean, people, if it's one thing to impulse buy a car or impulse buy like donuts at a grocery store, but I'm not down with impulse buying for guns. I'm not. I'm not. And the main reason why we don't have that delay is because of the popularity of gun shows where private people can sell their guns. They don't necessarily have to be dealers and all that. And, you know, the gun shows in town for a weekend. That kind of thing. That's that's the primary reason why we don't have. And if we did have it, there would be some kind of gun show exemption. I mean, I've I been done to dance, already know what the argument is going to be, all that kind of stuff, right? But I wasn't born to be friends of people that put together gun shows. I was not. Nothing on my birth certificate says I had to be friendly to those people. I mean, you got a city that's trying to stop people, primarily people of color, from having hanging out in spring break. Spring break. And I get it. It's a pandemic and all that stuff, and they shouldn't be out there. Especially without masks. But we're tear gassing and pepper balling. Kids basically... Trying to get drunk for a week. Now there's some rowdy elements and you got to arrest them and all that stuff. That's all part of the game and, and what goes on during that time period. But we, we don't have a problem when we make a decision to stop something in America. We don't have a problem executing a plan to stop it. Is the point I'm really making. I mean, they can be, they're justified in doing what they have to do to control crowds in Miami, in Miami Beach. That's on them, right? But they made their mind up to do it. But the minute that somebody says, well, maybe we shouldn't have all these gun shows. Whoa, whoa, hold on, Bob. It, you ain't, you don't have that will, that collective mindset anymore. You don't have that, that will to do something. Right. When you don't, when Americans do not have the will to do something, it's not going to get done. When we made a decision, we want to end this pandemic. We came up with a vaccine in a year. Vaccines are normally two to five year processes. We did it in the span of a year, 365 days, literally. Because we had a will to do it. Anything that can happen in America the will of the people of America. And if you want to get biblical, the will of the people of God can do anything they want to, right? When America makes up its mind that it wants to be in a truly safe nation, because everybody keeps talking about the Second Amendment and it says that um, 
we have a right to bear arms. That's true. But there are two words in that amendment that folks just don't really like to talk about. It's called well-regulated. You know, people you tie it in and say well-regulated militia, but it says well-regulated, which means that James Madison, when he wrote that, had a mindset that, yeah, we probably need to have some restrictions based on this right. Out of all of the amendments, it is one of the few that kind of says, yeah, we might need to have an exception. In that case, it says regulated, well regulated, which means that we need to take particular attention to make sure that with this great power, there's great responsibility attached to it. A well regulated, not just a militia, not just a bunch of folks, just now you got the right to bear arms and that's it. Well regulated. Therefore, when the NRA says that they're for the Second Amendment, but they're not for background checks, and not for, then you're not for the Second Amendment because the Second Amendment says well-regulated. So if you got to have a background check, if you got to wait a couple of days, if you want to limit gun shows, whatever you think will make your community safe, that falls under the purview of the Second Amendment because it says you have the right to bear arms but it has to be well-regulated. So when you have the will to really honor what the Second Amendment says, you'll see some changes. You know, we made the joke that if every black man joined the NRA, gun control wouldn't be a problem. It's kind of a dark joke because it might actually be true. But until America has a will to really do something about this gun violence, then we're going to continue to see not only 18 people killed in a span of two days in a mass shooting, but continue to see the violence that happens in every, every inner city in the United States, especially Chicago, my hometown which hurts my heart to actually see in a document that the zip code I grew up in is the most dangerous zip code in America because it's black folks killing black folks over nothing, nothing they own, nothing they control, not even the clothes that they wear. They don't even make them. But if you got the wrong colors on and you're in the wrong neighborhood, you're going to get shot. When America has the will to deal with gun violence, we'll deal with it. Until then, it's just BS. It's just trying to placate to, to people based on an irrational fear. That if we 
tell the bad, if we figure out a way to stop bad people from getting guns, then good people won't have access to guns at all. It's insane. But that's the climate. So we're going to go back. We're going to take a break and we'll come back on the other side. I'll, I'll still kind of be riffing and all that. But just again, to end this segment, until America has the will to make itself safe within the framework of the Second Amendment, nothing's going to happen. Catch you on the other side. So we're back. So the other thing that kind of want to riff on, I guess, is dealing with this whole voter suppression stuff, right? So we know those of us who have studied American history, that the election process has never been pure, right? From the onset, only rich white men that own property could vote. And over time, it, it became more inclusive as we've amended the constitution and fought civil wars and all this other stuff and had protests out in the streets. Through the amendment process, we have basically made voting as inclusive as it can be. And then to go further to strengthen it, we created Voting Rights Acts. And then, you know, the courts have slowly but surely kind of eroded it on the on the premise that things have gotten so much better that those laws that were created to protect have become more draconian and more of a hassle to enforce rather than a responsibility now Many of us disagree with that, of course, because racism has not been eradicated in the United States. So therefore, protections that are designed to keep people from being victims of racist policies and 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 laws need to continue to be strengthened, not diminished. But the court, the Supreme Court has a different view of that. And so here we are now with this current Congress trying to pass civil rights legislation, voting rights legislation, right? That would incorporate a lot of things that a lot of states have done individually, whether it's mailing, voting, uh, same day registration, early voting, 
Sunday voting, all those kind of nuanced things that have helped expand the process, right? Make it easy for people to participate. And the vehicle is there for also National Election Day to be a holiday where nobody works, so you have no excuse but to go vote and enjoy the rest of your day off because voting should only take like five to 10 minutes of your life when it's run run correctly. And maybe at the most an hour, if it's like an election of the magnitude of 2020 or 2008, maybe. Just because you got to wait in line because everybody's trying to vote. And some people, you know, because, you know, things go through my mind. It's like, you know, it's like, so if you made it a holiday, for example, where everybody's off and everybody go vote, you may not need to keep the polling places open for 12 hours. Now, you can keep it open 12 hours to minimize maybe the long lines since everybody's off that day. But some people are going to make that argument. Well, everybody should off, so they should come in the morning or whatever. whatever. They're going to make that argument if you make it a holiday. That's going to be a challenge, right? And so... You know, but let's have that argument. Let's make it a holiday first, right? So anyway, people are up in arms, especially in states that have significant black population. When I say significant, anything over 25%, right? Some people will lower the threshold and say 15 to 20. And no, I mean, you know, there are states like that. But most of those states, you know, there's like the concentration of Black people like in one particular area for the most part. Very rarely are they spread out. You know, as far as like big pockets. So, you know, but you know, the states, the Democrats had major gains. And so the Republicans are basically trying to create laws to say, no, we don't want that anymore. We want to, we want to eliminate this. We don't ever want to do that again. We don't want to do the drop boxes or the early voting or the mail-in voting or the no excuse absentees or same day register. They want to eliminate all that stuff, right? And all I've ever heard the Democrats say is, oh, Lord, they're just going to do it. And they got the supermajority and blah, blah. I have not heard one caucus, not one, counter all of those voter suppression bills with redistricting bills. Because that's the problem. You got all these Republicans in there because they were able to draw the line so they could get the majority, not only in the state house and the state Senate, but also in Congress. 
you allowed them to get in and do that. And the Democrats supposedly had drawn lines that were favorable to Democrats, but the Republicans somehow beat them in certain areas. Especially areas that are majority white. When I say majority white, I'm talking like over 75%. Whereas the Democratic Party, especially in the South, they kind of lost the white vote during the civil rights era, but they they just totally punted it, punted it away by the time Reagan got in there. And so for a Joe Biden to win a statewide election in Georgia is one thing. And to get two Democratic U.S. senators statewide is one thing. But the House and the Senate ran in those same elections. And they're still majority Republican. That's because of redistricting. That's because of partisan politics. Politicking. Partisan politicking. In the redistricting process. And I'm guilty of it. I've done it. I've participated in it. I was in the redistricting process. I actually tried to create a district so that I would be the only black representative to go into this suburban town that I lived in. And the rest of the black members could stay in the city of Jackson. This is in Mississippi. What they ended up doing, what the committee ended up doing was sending six of us in very creative and artistic ways into that same city. I was trying to be the only one in there because, excuse me, they wanted one particular legislator out. They wanted him out. And they got him out. And what ended up happening was they created a new district in that city. And out of that new district came the man who eventually became the current Speaker of the House. Interesting. And that was a Democratic drawn district and the current Speaker is a Republican. They drew that district while carving up the rest of the rest of the city. So, but the Republicans have taken it to a new form where, you know, they 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 supposedly have won the hearts and minds of the majority of white people in America, especially in the South. And so you know, they draw these districts to make sure that those good white people are always going to be in the majority and they can stay in their offices, right? 
and nobody black or nobody democratic from the democratic party has dumped like tons of redistricting bills into the hopper. Now, granted, the Republicans in control are not as diplomatic or not as uh, congenial or competitive in a fair sense. So most of those bills would die, you know, they would have died an early death in the session anyway. Maybe. But if everybody let the world know that the Republicans were introducing bills to suppress voters in all these states, everybody let people know that. We even kept a tally of how many were being introduced and how many states were introducing them. Right? But we didn't do the same thing as far as redistricting, which is actually supposed to be happening, but because of the previous administration and how they mishandled the census, which is not even a story right now. Nobody, because of the pandemic and everything else, nobody's talking about the fact that the census is supposed to be counted by now. And what a complete abject failure it was and how it was conducted. They don't want you to know that we probably undercounted the country by 20%, not just a particular area, the country by 20%. That's just some speculation stuff, but the few people who are reporting it, that's what they're saying. And so it's like, nobody's addressing that. And so, for the Democrats, if they wanted to really make an issue about voter suppression and one thing, then you offer a counter move and make them, the Republicans, responsible and accountable for the redistricting and the fact that the census was screwed up. Nobody is even talking about the census. They're, each legislature is supposed to be getting a copy right now of the census so they could hit get of the results so they can start drawing the maps. That's not happening. And if it is happening, it is so low key. That is scary that the redistricting process might be going on and nobody is talking about it. Nobody. This is 2021. The census is conducted every 10 years. It was conducted in 2020. That means in 2021, we're supposed to have the results. Nobody is talking about that. Nobody. But had the Democrats counter the Republicans in these different state legislatures by introducing bill after bill after bill, trying to reform the redistricting process, that would have caught people's attention. There's been one group that's been out there. Barack Obama has been a part of it. Eric Holder, I think, is in charge of it. That has been talking about the importance of redistricting. And this whole election reform process. And they're just out there like a tumbleweed in a desert. Because the people in their own party, the elected leaders in their own party did not take that 
and use it as a counterbalance to take over the airwaves and say, the problem is not in how people are voting. The problem is what they have to vote for. How their district is drawn, what their representation looks like. That's the problem. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody. And, you know, it's like you hear these arguments about, well, you know, it's not going to do this. It's not going to do that. And that. So in Mississippi, some of these bills that people wanted to change the voting process didn't pass. And there's a Republican majority House and Senate there. All the statewide elected officials are the Republican, including the governor, lieutenant governor, and then the Speaker of the House. But there were some bills that didn't pass because people had debates. People talked about, do we really need to do that? Do we need to cut that off? Are we really at that place right now? And so some of those bills were killed. Good many of them, actually. But in Georgia, they're trudging along. And in other states. I mean, Iowa voted for Trump and they still voted for voter suppression stuff. They say, well, it's not voter suppression because we, we, we don't have any black people. You have college students who voted for Joe Biden. We know that. We, we know. We, we, we get it. Because, I mean, I'm... I did, Based on the way the Republican Party is set up now, I'm not going to tell anybody to vote for anybody Republican, no matter how good they are. And I know some good Republicans. I know them. But I can't endorse anything they're doing because they still are beholden to the former president. Whether it's willingly or unwillingly, they're beholden to him. And they play the politics of that. And they're so petty. They're so petty right now, especially the ones in Washington. But, you know, I just I just don't understand. Sometimes I I think it's a miracle that the Democratic Party is the oldest political party in the world. Because you know, through all his machinations, all his history, I mean, it was the pro-slavery party at one point. Now it's the pro-civil rights party, right? But, you know, and, it, and it's, it's evolved, it's changed. It's, you know, we've gone from Andrew Jackson to Barack Obama, for crying out loud, as far as like the titular head of the party, what the Democratic Party looks like. Boston has a black woman as a mayor. She's a Democrat. It's never happened before. I mean, (laughs) 
I, I, but I'm still amazed at the party because when there are opportunities to go get them, we don't. Howard Dean, to me, out of all the chairs, now Ron Brown was great as far as raising money, probably raised more money aggregate than any chair, right? far as just like raw dog, getting the money, shaking the hands, whatever, getting the commitments. And he got rewarded for that. But Howard Dean was probably the best chairman that we had because Howard Dean believed that there was no quarter to be left. He believed that if there was a Democrat running in a state, that the Democratic Party should be supporting that Democrat. I don't care if it was Alabama. I don't care if it was Alaska, New Hampshire, or Hawaii. It didn't matter. Every election, especially every federal election, every congressional race, every presidential year, Howard Dean said, we got to win every state. We want every electoral vote. And the Democratic Party thrived during that time as far as establishing itself. So much so that when Barack Obama stepped on the stage, not only was there enthusiasm, but there was a well-oiled machine to make it happen. And that was Howard Dean. So, Under his leadership, there would have been, there were there were responses to when the Republicans threw out stuff. There were Democratic responses at the legislative level, at the state legislative level. There was a concerted effort to fight those battles. And that was probably one of the reasons why Mississippi was the last Southern state to flip because the Democratic Party didn't write off Mississippi when Howard Dean was the chair. And Georgia actually had the last white man to call himself a Democrat to serve in Congress until John Ossoff got in. Because of Howard Dean. And I'm saying all that to say we have to have a response. And I say we as a Democrat. I'm, I'm a Democrat. That's who I am. So when we think that we see the other side pro proposing legislation that's going to be harmful to our constituents, it's going to be harmful to our party electing qualified people to serve in government, then we have to be vocal and vigilant and strong in our defense and our attack. We can't just passively say, oh, well, you know, and it's bad. And guys, I want you to come protest. Use the tools that you have to fight back and fight back hard. These folks are not entitled to control the world of ideas. 
and they're kind of advocating it now because they they're throwing out conspiracy theories right and saying that what you see ain't really what's happening don't believe your lying eyes that's their best political strategy right now but we have to counter that and we have to be vocal about it we have to be uh visceral about it not belligerent per se but damn near because this is a fight we keep talking about we fighting for a democracy you gotta throw some blows you gotta bring weapons you can't just say it's a fight and then don't fight or fight aggressively I've seen boxers get in a ring and try for 10, 12, 15 rounds just not to get hit. They're not going to win the fight. They'll survive it, but they're not going to win it. You got to throw some punches. You got to throw some blows. You're going to take some, but you got to throw some blows and you got to hurt them when you throw them. You can't just flick a jab out there. You got to go for it. You got to go for a power punch. You got to go for the knockout. Every day in this democratic process, we are in a fight. So that means that we have to fight. We have to attack. And I know some people are like, well, I don't think that's civilized. It is. Is expected, especially from the constituents that voted you in. And then this, well, you know, we're just going to do our own thing and play with TikTok and other social media, you know, while the Republicans, you know, purge us from the rolls. I mean, it's like, that's crazy. You can't, if you're in the arena, you fight, you fight, you fight. So, you know, when they, they throw out stuff, we got to counter it. And then we got to throw some punches. We got to go after them too. I mean, that's, that's it for me. I, I just, I just really want people to understand that being passive and waiting for somebody else to take up the mantle is not a luxury we've, we've really ever had, but we definitely don't have it now. And whatever you do, whatever small contribution that you make toward protecting the democracy that we have and fighting for the rights of people, do it. And don't worry about the size or the immediate impact, just do it. Because collectively, it's gonna make a difference. But you gotta do something. You can't sit on the sidelines and just pray it away. You got to get up and do something. Until next time.